Today's scripture reading comes from John chapter 6, verses 14 through 22. Hear God's word for us. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, good morning. If we haven't met one another, my name is Gabe, but I want to take a moment um, and just highlight just a word of thanks for everybody in the AV booth, everybody who greets along the doors, who helps put out the parking signs, who helps make the coffee, the staff team that's doing all the different pieces and parts. Can we just give them all a round of applause? Yeah. You know, I think the, Im- the importance of, or a really important uh, stewardship of leadership is looking and pointing to others. And so same with fatherhood, same with being a pastor. So thank you for all of you who are giving to your church of your time, talent, and treasure um, to make a space available for us. Now with that in mind and with us having, the God, having God's word read over us, why don't we turn to a moment of prayer, shall we? God, what a beautiful text. There's so much there if we have eyes to see, if we have ears to hear, if our hearts are willing. And I don't even mean just stubborn, but just afraid sometimes to receive. We have wounds, heartache, history that we're bringing to this moment. I pray that by the power of your spirit who can break every chain, even the chains of our trauma, even the chains of subpar understandings of your love, take us to new depths today. May we feel a deeper intimacy by the power of your spirit. And thank you that you are indeed a good, good father. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are, as Hebrews writes, an amazing eldest brother. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you weave us together in intimacy and somehow the Father and the Son are present and somehow we are present with them uniquely when we gather in the name of Jesus. We entrust this time to you afresh. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit and all God's people said, amen, amen. I want you to think back just for a moment What's the worst storm you've ever been in? Think about what you were feeling, what kind of weather it was, how you were processing life, how you were processing the moment. Um, Well, one that was maybe not the most intense, but definitely raised the hair on the back of my neck that was recent was just uh, the tornado that came through Kansas City. Was it about a week and a half ago? And... (laughs) It was in the middle of the night, 
And we, we wake up to my wife's phone screaming. That's not the exact, you know, but that's what you see is something like that, right? This emergency alert on your phone. And it's like, wah, wah, you know, and my wife is saying, we got to get up. There's a tornado warning. And listen, I'm, I'm the worst in the middle of the night. Like there are certain times where people shine. Some people like can wake up in the middle of the night and are ready to go. Like I am like the worst possible human being you can meet. And that's why my wife is smiling really big. Um, <laughs> Because as soon as she's like, there's a tornado warning, I was like, what's the difference? What's a warning? What's a watch? Isn't, because in my mind, like, I'm so angry. I'm trying to figure out any way to stay in bed. I'm like, a tornado watch is you're watching for the tornado to come to you, right? Tornado warning means it might happen, so it probably won't. We're in the city, and she's like, so I'm looking it up on Google. You know, <laughs> she's like, get the kids, get the kids. So finally, I look it up, and she was right. <laughs> Tornado warning is way worse than a watch. You watch if it might come down. Warning is it's coming for you, okay? Um, so we go get the kids. They're also not very happy. <laughs> um, nobody's really happy. Allie's just the one holding us together. Um, and so we go down to the basement. We lay out some blankets. Our dog is in her kennel looking at us like we're nuts because we're laying down on this rough-hewn concrete floor. And we're just staying down there. And, you know, I looked out the window before we got down, and the trees are like, you know, and you're like, okay, we're going down to the basement, right? <laughs> you hear the wind blowing against the house, and the kids are like, we okay? Oh, yeah, we're fine. In the back of your mind, you're praying like, Lord, keep that true. Keep it true. Um, you're making promises in the midst of that moment. Well, finally, right, the, 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 the storm passes, the warning expires, and then comes the next battle of the night. Whenever you wake up kids in the middle of the night, it's getting them back to bed. Um, and yes, kiddos, that's a real big deal. When everybody's got adrenaline pumping through their bodies, you kind of feel like this extraordinary battle to now get your kids into bed. Um, that's, yes, how I feel after getting <laughs> the kids back to bed because they are just like, hey, we made it through a tornado. I'm like, yeah, but we got to make it through tomorrow. So go to bed. Um, and then we woke up the next morning, and you start to see some of the headlines, right? And you think to yourself, one, God be with them. But simultaneously, that was close. Um, and you see, the longer, the longer you live, the more you just come to realize that sometimes God lets the chaos come. Sometimes. Like you can be trying to do your best, trying to do the right thing, and then you get sideswiped by the wrong thing. Try to follow God's word. And then suddenly life gets harder rather than easier. Or it can just be a storm or chaos that just comes out of nowhere. And, and, and you feel utterly shocked. And, and, and listen, I don't know why it surprises us in some sense because we're just human. But when you look across the pages of scripture or you ask people in this room who have gray hair, they will tell you that if you follow Jesus, that doesn't mean that you're always kept from chaos. Um, and actually, when you look across the pages of Scripture, God's never surprised by our chaos either. Um, and and I, now, I don't know what everybody believes in here, but I'm just going to say what the Scriptures say, what the authors of Scripture, those who had an intimate relationship with God, and God was uniquely revealing himself to them. There's nowhere, nowhere that, that God is surprised or feels out of control when chaos hits. And so if sometimes God lets the chaos come, and it feels like it comes out of nowhere, and he knows it's coming, it usually raises a question, at least for me, like, what, what's God wanting to show us in the chaos? Like, God, what, 
What do you want me to see here? Like, if you know, and I'm going to make an assumption, once again, this is based off of what I believe God has done in history and what he's revealed in his word, and frankly, the good I see in creation. If indeed God is good, and he knows that the chaos comes, and he doesn't stop it, and he lets it sometimes, I ask him, God, what are you showing me here? What do you have for us? What do you have for me? And what we see again and again is that it has everything to do with Jesus. And so if you haven't already, we're going to explore that together. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 6, and we're going to begin here in verse 14. John chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some copies on the back there for you to take and to have and hold from this day forward as a gift from your local church, because we believe that everybody should have a copy of God's Word available to them to be able to engage and to hear from the Lord by the power of the Spirit. Last week, just to kind of catch us up, we jumped back in to John's gospel account. So John is someone who knew Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He was a good friend of Jesus. So he has a really great perspective. If you disagree with John, you're wrong, okay? Because John knew Jesus, and he's walking with you, and he wants us to see the one that he knows. And what he's saying is like, listen, for me, when I, when I was walking with Jesus, he gave us these signs, and not just me, everybody who was around him. He gave us these signs that were pointing to who he was and, frankly, through who he was, what God was coming to do in the world. That's why we've named this series as we've jumped back into John, Signs of Life, pointing to Jesus. That's the name of our series. That's why all the series graphics and all the music graphics look that way. It's because signs be a key element of this gospel narrative. Now, verse 15, we jumped back in last week and we saw that Jesus did this like all-star miracle, right? It's the one of the few gospel or one of the few miracles that shows up in all four gospel accounts. And what happens is that he realizes that all of these folks are about to make him king. Verse 15, he realizes they're like, oh, they're going to come force me to be king, whether I want to be king at this point or not, because I've got still more work to do. They don't know exactly what this king is about to do, so they're going to force me to do what they think I ought to do, so he withdraws. I love this. This is just something for, some, for another day. Just look at how many times Jesus gets alone, and he's not binge-watching Netflix. He's not just having some me time, right? He's getting some him and father time. Some intimacy, growing that, that, that deep ballast. Yes, he's 100% God, but he's also 100% human and needs that intimacy with his father as he continues to lead. Well, he tells the disciples to go on ahead of him. It's getting late, and so they start to get into the boat, and they go ahead of him to Capernaum. And while they're about three or four miles out, they might be in the middle of the lake. They might be closer to the shore. It depends on where they actually launch off. Suddenly, a violent storm breaks out. And here's what you need to know about the Sea of Galilee. Having been there uh, myself, the Sea of Galilee is about 600 uh, feet below sea level. And you can get these strong eastern winds from the tablelands blowing across. And then they can smack the Sea of Galilee. And then suddenly, a violent squall can break out, a big storm out of nowhere. Such that if you're stuck in the middle of the lake, it can be quite um, freaky right? And here's the deal. When you get really strong rain, and we've had some of those here in KC, and you're on the highway, what happens? You slow down, or you have to pull over, because you can't see anything. <laughs> you're just like, man, there's a semi somewhere. Um, <laughs> and I don't like that I don't know, right? Um, and I don't know if he knows. I'm a lot smaller, and if we get into a fight, 
I'm going to lose, right? There's this element of when a really heavy storm comes, your visibility begins to shrink. Not only that, it's nighttime. I don't know if anybody in here, I mean, this is lake season, all right? Some of you, I keep hearing, you know, I'm going to my friend's lake house. Way to go. Like, <laughs> I love me a lake life every now and then, okay? But here's the deal. You're out on the lake at night. There is nothing more eerie than like water at night. Because even if it's like see-through during the day at night, it's just, it's just a void. And it's not stable. Like at least at night, I'm walking on this. I know where it's at. I know it's not moving. Water, you're just rocking. And you don't know if something else is going to pop up out of that. You know, all, mm. <laughs> Water at night, it makes your adrenaline pump. It's, it's another thing that's just really terrifying. And so you look at this situation. It's the middle of the night. This giant storm comes upon them. They're more than likely somewhere in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And then you start asking yourself, okay, this is dangerous. Now, what's their greatest danger? You could, and, and if we start just detailing things off, we could say, okay, this, there's a storm. That's pretty terrifying. That seems dangerous. Um, it's nighttime. So how are they going to know where they're going? That's another thing. In the midst of the storm, how are they going to be sure they land in the right place? I mean, they're experienced sailors, to be sure, but that's difficult. And how do we even know if this, you know, this ship that they, this boat they got into, if it was made for more like nice chill coasting, not like for storm weather, they're like, we should have got the other boat. You know, I, I don't know all the different dynamics there. But here's what's most dangerous about this whole scenario. From a very human perspective, we could look at those three things. But the most dangerous component to this whole situation is not what is there. It's what's not there. Cyril of Alexandria, he was an African theologian and leader of the 4th and 5th century. He writes this of this particular passage. He says, For the deep darkness of the night troubles them, hovering like smoke on the raging waves and taking away any ability for navigation. The fierce winds riding on the waves with a rushing sound that raises the billows high above their heads had to trouble them more than a little bit. I love that. Yes. And through all of this, John records Jesus was not yet with them. This was the real danger. And Christ's absence from these voyagers was making their fear grow more and more. Side tip when you're studying your Bibles, I encourage you to read of brothers and sisters outside of our time, outside of our geographic region, to be able to see how other brothers and sisters are engaging the text, both to see the similarities and the questions they're asking when they're coming to the text. The truth is anchored in the text, but the questions they're asking are going to help us see it from a different angle that enriches our experience of Scripture. And so the storms, storms are always going to come. But the real danger is that Jesus isn't there. Look with me again at verse 17. We read, it was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. There's no simple wasted word. Remember, all of this was hand copied for an extended period of time before the printing press. Every word has its place on purpose. And what has John been saying and describing of Jesus throughout these earlier chapters? If you remember back or if you know your Bibles, what is Jesus? He's the light of the world, but it's dark. And where's the light? He's not with him. 
And not only that, but they're on the sea. Now, the sea throughout the ancient Near Eastern consciousness and imagery and, and all of their artwork, it displayed chaos. It was the, the thing that if they didn't know how to put chaos into words, they would put it into a picture, and it was always the ocean. It was the sea. You couldn't control it. It was untamable, and it could bring extraordinary havoc out of nowhere. And when do we think, if you know your Bibles, and if you don't, this is why you're here, because we're learning God's Word together, right? I'm so glad you're here. Think back to a time really early where we think of water and chaos. We should go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. Verse 2, in which we read, the earth was without form and void, and darkness, okay, was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. You have darkness and water right there. You see, John, he can't help but see this moment, and we begin to see the parallels and ask, who is this one who's, who's walking on the water? And they're longing for the light of the world and the one who has created the world to show up. But you ask yourself, like, hold the phone here. Because <laughs> Jesus is never caught off guard either. Like, he knows when he picked the 12 that one of them was going to betray him, and he knew it was going to be Judas. He knows that he's going to die on a cross even though nobody else believes him. <laughs> and he knows he's going to rise again three days later. We just saw earlier, if you were here with us last week in John chapter 6, he asks Philip, where are we going to get food for these folks to test him? Because he already knew what he was going to do. And then we'll find out later in John's gospel, he already knew Lazarus had died. He waited on purpose so that he could resurrect him to teach a lesson. Again and again, we see that Jesus isn't surprised. <laughs> so why? Like why? Why does Jesus do this? Why does he let the storm come in the first place? Because I want to I highlight just here what Jesus doesn't do when he shows up, okay? What Jesus doesn't do is he doesn't stop the storm. He's not like a weatherman like, hey, just, just in, you know? Disciples, apostles, the radar showing this is going to be nasty. Why don't you bring some raincoats, some extra life preservers? It's going to take, I just want you to be prepared, okay? This is what a good leader would do, okay? It's going to get hard out there. Just want you to know. He doesn't say nothing. He doesn't stop them. He doesn't stop the storm. He doesn't even warn them. <laughs> I want you to think of any other leader who does that to you. What's your framework for them? Man, like, man, this guy's a terrible leader, right? <laughs> well, this is not great in a lot of ways, but he doesn't stop them. He lets them go into the storm, and he lets them wrestle. He lets them fight the waves. He lets them feel the darkness. He lets them wrestle to get to the other side. And then he shows up in the middle of the storm. <laughs> you know, it's fascinating, and this kind of plays off the continual theme. He rarely stops the storm in our lives, but he'll always meet us there if we're willing to see him, if we're willing to look. But think about this. How does he show up? Does he show up like this anxious presence trying to manage all of their emotions? Like, okay, 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 everybody, every, no, okay, 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 okay. You know, like just constantly freaking out, trying to calm everybody down to the point that he's got to make sure and control every, the, every way that everybody's feeling? No. Does he run in terrified himself? No. 
Does he come apologizing? Guys, I should have told you about the storm, you know. Sorry I wasn't here earlier. No. He's not trying to manage them. He's not trying to apologize to them. You know what I find fascinating? This is another helpful tip when you're studying your scriptures, especially the Gospels, okay? If you come across a particular narrative or a chunk of verses or text, see if it shows up in any of the other Gospels, okay? And what's fascinating is this is the shortest telling of Jesus walking on the water. There's two other uh, passages and two other Gospels where Jesus is walking on the water. This is the shortest. It's almost like John is being real careful and selective of what he shares. And what I can't miss, and what we can't miss, is the how he describes Jesus when he walks. He says he walks to them. He doesn't run. It's not like he's hiking on those waves, you know, like out of breath when he gets to the edge. He walks to the boat. And then they're terrified. <laughs> I mean, there's one sense, though, like, it's crazy, and this thing is not terrified. So that can bring, and these, these are sailors. There's no doubt they grew up. Remember, they grew up around this area. A lot of them did anyway. And they no doubt heard stories of these creatures or these ghost-like beings. And they're like, okay, there is something on the water. It's like, John's like, hey, Peter, Pete, there's something. I don't know what that is, but there's something and it's flocking this way, right? You're like, there's this feeling of terror that comes over them because nobody walks on the water. Not even in the Hebrew scriptures do we ever find anyone walking on the water. And so, of course, it's natural to be terrified when you see somebody doing something that's never been done before. But Jesus does come up, and we see in verse 20, he says, it is I, do not be afraid. It is I. Do not be afraid. It's Jesus. And they know it's him, not just by the tone of his voice. You know, there's a later situation where Jesus um, is resurrected and Mary's in the garden, right? And then she's talking to Jesus, thinking that he's the gardener. But then as soon as he says Mary, like she recognizes it's Jesus. There's something. But it's not just his tone, it's the authority and the peace that's anchored in his voice. It is I. It's me. Don't be afraid. You're not alone. And then I love where verse 21 goes. And, and a lot of theologians make a lot of this verse. We read, and they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now, some see this, you know, this word immediately as like a literary hinge. Some see this as like a theological miracle. And I think both of those can ring true as you're seeking to understand and interpret the text. But I think there's another component that often is missed. And the more I was sitting in this text, <laughs> it's that the moment Jesus gets in the boat, their focus changes. You know, here's something fascinating about fear, Okay. Think about the last time you were utterly terrified. Maybe it was a car accident, right? And your mind, like suddenly it feels like you're going in slow motion. Everything is. You know that sensation where like you're in the middle of chaos out of nowhere and it feels like you're going in slow motion? It's because your brain is kicked into overdrive in order to self-preserve. <laughs> it's like, all right, all resources towards survival. Now, like fear does that. 
For me, it was when I was a butler in Chicago and I was walking down white carpeted steps and slipped with a big old cup of French press coffee on the people I was working for. And I just watched the coffee go, and I was like, I'm going to get fired. Like, like, I literally remember how slow motion that felt. I was like, this is crazy. Like, there's something about your body and your brain that actually kicks into overdrive to do, like, say, hey, whatever you can do, now's your chance, right? But when you have joy with someone, think about the last time you had a coffee conversation with, like, a friend, and you look down in your watch, and you're like, whoa, it's been two hours. Where'd time go? You lose track of your surroundings, and you're fully present in the moment. I think there's something here where they're so caught up in the terror of the storm that when they see Jesus and they realize who he is and they take him into the boat, they're so enraptured with who he is that suddenly they find themselves at the shore. Whether it took them 20 minutes or whether it took them two minutes, they don't know <laughs> because they're with Jesus and the joy of having him in the boat with them. There's something about that when we really are enraptured with who Jesus is and we recognize that he's with us. You see, Jesus, he's training them. There's a lot going on here, but he's definitely training them on what to expect. He's forming them as human beings. This is what a rabbi does. This is what a teacher does. He's helping them grow. And a good teacher, a good rabbi, doesn't always stop the pain, but meets you in the middle to show you what you're learning in the midst of it. And he steps into this chaos, and he wants them to see something. And John saw it, and he wants us to see it. You see, when the storms of life come, when chaos hits, when Jesus is with you, you don't have to be afraid. That's what he's teaching us. When Jesus is with you, you don't have to be afraid. And it has everything to do with what Jesus said. Even though it was a command, it was much more of an invitation and there's a great comfort in what is said specifically because of who said it. Now, walk with me with this on for a second. Imagine instead of Jesus outside the boat, it was Ron, the guy who runs the surf shop, who bites his own toenails, right? Um, and he's on stilts, and he's like, hey, guys, like, that doesn't bring me peace, all right? I actually have an escalated fear and terror because somehow I'm like, Ron, get in the boat, you crazy moron. Like, get in the boat. You're going to die. If it's Ron, I don't even know who that guy is. <laughs> Bless his heart. May the Lord be upon you and all the blessings and things. But clearly he was having fun editing that photo, so I didn't feel any qualms. Um, if it's Ron, it raises your fear. But it's not Ron. And yeah, in, in, in our translation here, it says, it is I. And there is something important, relational happening here where Jesus is like, it's me. See me. But there's more going on there. The original Greek there is ego eimi, I am. And for those of you who were here with us last week, we hit on this as well. Jesus does this again and again and again. This language, I am, is very integral or very important to understanding who God is and how he's revealed himself throughout the Hebrew scriptures, throughout the Old Testament. When Moses encounters God in a burning bush on a mountain and Moses says, okay, I'm going to go bring liberation to Israel because you're sending me against this oppressive regime in Egypt, but they're going to ask me who's sending me. 
So you got to tell me your name. And then God says, I am. I am who I am, right? And Jesus steps up and yes is saying, it's me. But he's also saying, I am. am the one who's here. So you don't have to be afraid. It's because of who Jesus is that the invitation to not be afraid can come with great comfort. It's because of who Jesus is and his invitation and his stepping into the midst of chaos that they can find comfort. The reason we can know that when Jesus is with us, we don't have to be afraid is because the one who can walk on water won't let you drown. The one who can walk on water, he won't let you drown. And once again, let's look across the pages of Scripture. This is very strategic. In John chapter 6, there's a lot of parallel between Moses and Elijah and the prophets of old. But go back. Moses, by the power of God, helped part the Red Sea, and they walked on dry ground. Joshua helped part the Jordan by the power of God, so they walked on dry ground. Elijah and Elisha did similar miracles around water, but no one walked on water. There's only one, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Or you go to the book of Job there in the wisdom literature where God's describing himself or those who are wise go to describe God. And what do we see in Job chapter 9, verse 8? If you have your Bibles, we can turn there. Job chapter 9, verse 8. It's right before Psalms. Job chapter 9. This is good, right? We're all going to wrestle through this together. (laughs) Job chapter 9, verse 8. And Job, he's replying to his arbiters here, or replying to the people who are talking to him, and he says, who alone, speaking of God, stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. The one who calmed chaos in the beginning The one who tramples the waves (laughs) is the one here who's walking on water. And when they recognize who it is, that this is God. And they're not putting all these categories together. There's, There's pieces where John's allowing us to go through the journey that he went through. But this is clearly what Jesus is presenting of himself. And this is why John is presenting it from what he remembers of this moment. Because now, post-resurrection, he's got clarity of this. But in that moment, he's wrestling with, what do all these parts mean about who this is? There's only, there's never been anyone who walked on the water. But there is one. And he's walking to comfort me. And somehow he's closer than the chaos. He may not stop it, but he won't leave you alone in it. And listen, we can't just hear stuff like that. It can't just be information. We got to make memories. And and there's an element, this is what's beautiful about a community, is another person sharing their story can become a part of our memory. When we see in their eyes and we see their tears or we see them shaking as they're remembering those moments of how God was present, those become our memories. And here John is writing this so that this might also be our memory. So that when we walk in the middle of a storm or chaos and we go, God, why did you let that happen? He goes, I want you to learn that I'm going to meet you in the midst of it. That's not the explanation for every chaotic or unexplainable thing we go through. But sometimes God allows those chaotic moments to enter our lives to grow us, to actually 
feel his peace meet us in the midst of chaos, a peace that transcends understanding, the Apostle Paul says in one of his later letters. Because listen, you know, when you think about the feeding of the 5,000, and now Jesus walked on the water, and he met them in this boat, this is one of the most unforgettable days for these disciples, isn't it? Imagine later, they're sitting on the beach. I just love this type of stuff, so stick with me, because these are real people, right? They're sitting on the beach around the fire, talking about this moment. And John elbows Peter, and he goes, you remember how you almost cried, you know? (laughs) You know? And Simon, you know, is like, oh, I remember, you know? And Judas, not Iscariot, was like, hey, man, it wasn't, I'm not, I'm not Iscariot, just to be clear. But, you know, I, I remember that when, when, when suddenly we saw him, we thought he was a ghost, and we all thought it was for loss, but then Jesus met us there. And they, just the, the feeling of peace that comes over as they remember that moment. And then, as record shows, nearly every single one of them died a martyr's death for Jesus. You better believe as they're heading towards their death, they're remembering moments like these. That as the chaos was coming of their own death, they're like, Jesus, I know you're with me because you were with me in the storm. We need memories. And John wants us to see this memory and now take it as our own. Blessed are those who hear but do not see but do believe. Hear that the same God who is with them is as we saw in John chapter 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, not just for the disciples here, but for us too, to be with us and to walk with us so that we too can know we're never outside his reach. I love the way that Scarlet Hittabadal says in her book, afraid of all the things, tornadoes, cancer, adoption, and other stuff you need the gospel for. She says, the gospel tells me I can't fix myself. The gospel tells me I can't protect myself. But the gospel tells me I can't rest. Knowing that Jesus walked into this broken, sad, scary place to rescue me and love me and cast out my fear. And he did. And he does. And he will. You know, we spent a couple weeks ago talking about the differences of fear across the scriptures, and I'd encourage you to go listen to that last message in the book of Ecclesiastes to talk about the difference between awe with God and this terror. So God is casting out terror when we have awe with him. And, and what we see here is that when Jesus is with us and we are with him, we don't have to be afraid because the one who walks on the waves will not let us drown. He will be closer than the chaos. He will meet us in the storm, even if he doesn't stop the storm. And he does it all because he loves you and he loves me. So let's not miss the invitation here. The invitation that John is extending to us is to expect Jesus' comforting words in the storm. Expect Jesus' comforting words in the storm. It's clear they weren't expecting him, right? (laughs) Because they had other thoughts going on in their minds. We see this from other passages and other gospels where they're thinking like, is this a ghost? What's happening here? And they were terrified before they realized who it was because surely this couldn't be Jesus. They had a whole bunch of different ideas of what it could be, but not Jesus. But then they came to realize, as one commentator writes, that there is no darkness too deep, no waves too high or sea too wide for him to find them and be with them in the midst of that tumult. And we're allowed to see this. And what God is showing us in the midst of this is that we can come to expect Jesus' comforting word in the midst of the storm. So let me ask you today, 
Where are you not expecting Jesus? Where are you not expecting Jesus? It might be partially a spot where you feel like, oh, this is too ordinary. He would never meet me here. Or maybe this is too often. I've asked him to meet me here way too many times. Or it's too shameful. Or it's too disgusting. Oh, God, you could never meet me there. It's too hard. It's too messy. What do we tell ourselves? Well, once I get myself cleaned up, then I'll expect him to show up, right? Careful. They were messy in the middle of that lake. And that's where Jesus said, don't be afraid. It's me. And we see this again and again across the Gospels. When prostitutes are washing his feet and other people want to dismiss them, he said, no, 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 no. She's doing it right. She's one of mine. When tax collectors and sinners are the ostracized ones, he invites them in. When someone who was wrestling, a woman was wrestling through a physical ailment for years, he finally brings wholeness and healing. You find that a man loses a daughter, a mother loses a son. There's a, a man who's forgotten because he was blind. And all of these Jesus is inviting in. And he goes to them. But maybe a more contemporary story might help us out. A pastor friend recently shared with me a story about his father who'd grown up in an atheistic home. And here's how it played out. Um, he was always on search for answers. Um, he didn't become a Christian until later in life, and that was through the testimony of his wife. And so they were still, he was still a baby Christian while they went on their honeymoon. It was right after the war in 1945, and so they were driving home from Mexico City, and their gas gauge had failed in their car. And they ran out of gas in a really remote area of the jungle. And to his surprise, um, his wife suggested, you know, they just got married, that they pray about it and see what God does. So they began to pray, and within a couple minutes, someone who is native to the area came out of the jungle <laughs> and approached the car, okay? He then pointed to the gas tank. Neither of them spoke Spanish, right? So he pointed to the gas tank, gesturing, gesturing that there's nothing left in it. The stranger then gestured him to follow him into the woods. <clears throat> so they went to the home about 100 yards back from the road, and the man had a 32-gallon barrel of high-test gasoline just sitting there. So together, they rolled the barrel out and filled the tank um, using kind of a uh, gourd and newspaper to fill it up. And then, uh, you know, this man and woman, this husband and wife, they gave him all the pesos that they had available on them at the time, and they headed on their way. And uh, what this pastor friend tells me is that his dad, um, that strengthened his faith more than anything else in his life. Such that after that, his dad would pray before any decision, <laughs> before they would do anything. He, he wouldn't do anything or make any big decision or any small decision without praying first. Because, why? He had a memory where God showed up in a way he wasn't expecting because his wife said, let's pray about it. And God did show up. And he's like, whoa, this is real. That's right. It grows our faith. We need to have those real experiences in our own life. 
but they won't come unless we ask for him to show up. Or sometimes when he does show up, just acknowledge that was him. That might be the second one that's even more important. I hear those amens. Thank you. That's real. He's showing up all the time. Just half the time we're like, oh, that makes sense. No. Ordinary miracles we just explain away. Where are you not expecting Jesus? And, and I want to be clear here. I'm, I'm talking to people who have been walking with Jesus. I want to actually take a pivot real quick and say, if you aren't someone who's embraced Jesus yet, I'm so glad you're here. But the first question is, do you want Jesus to be a part of your life at all? Do you want him to be a part of your life at all? Because he wants to be a part of your life. And he is showing up. He is caring for you. He is pursuing you. But if you want to open up your heart, your mind to him, if you want to embrace him, you have to acknowledge who he is. That he is very God. He's the son of God, fully God, fully human. And also acknowledge what he's done. He came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died for your sins because he had to for us. And then he rose again three days later to give us life in his spirit. And he wants all of you. If you believe that, if you're willing to step out and trust that, I don't mean believe with certainty. I'm 100% certain. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about trust him. Lean into it and say, here's my life. That's step one. And it starts with a simple prayer, a moment of communication with the God who's pursuing you saying, you are indeed my Savior and Lord Jesus. Thank you for dying for me and rising again. I'm yours, all of me. It's that simple. And if you want to talk with me about that after the service, I would be overjoyed. If you have questions, if you want to press into that, I'm here for you, okay? Now, for those of us who've been walking with Jesus for a while, I still have that question. Where are you still not expecting Jesus? And maybe there's some here who felt like you had a drought with Jesus. Maybe you got a dark night of the soul where you felt like you haven't heard anything from Jesus in a long time or you haven't felt him. And, and you, know, you know it because when you get some of those real dark moments, you start to question if you heard him or felt him ever before. And some of you may be in that spot. And if that's you, I want to invite us all to just, we're going to do something together. I want you to close your eyes for a second. Would you please? And I want you to imagine something for me. I want you to imagine that one spot you're not expecting Jesus. That thing, for whatever reason that you're not, what are you feeling in that space? What's around you? Who's there? Who's not there? In the midst of that chaos that you may be feeling internally around this thing, even if it's a subtle storm, I want you to imagine Jesus walking on that chaos to you. And then I want you to hear his words and hear them coming from God's word to you in that moment. It's me. Don't be afraid. Whatever it is that you're not expecting him to meet you in, expect him. If you're looking for something, he's speaking to you today from his word. And so I want you to receive that I want you to rest in what he's saying to you. This was not just meant to be a historical artifact. This is meant to be God speaking to us today. Receive that. Rest in it. Believe him. It's me. Don't be afraid.
Open your eyes. Only when we begin to expect Jesus and we receive his word will we, like we see actually in the other telling of Jesus walking on water, not just expect him to come to us in the chaos, but actually we'll receive his call to step out into it with him. And that fear will continue to just subside. The terror will continue to subside. And courage will continue to grow. Because why? Because when Jesus is with you and you know that, you don't have to be afraid. Because the one who controls chaos has got your hand. And don't we want to be that kind of person? We can be by the power of the Spirit when we rest in Jesus. Let's pray. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this brilliant moment in history that you orchestrated for us to remember. May we receive it. May it speak truth into nooks and crannies of our own lives. And may it deepen our intimacy with you. And out of that intimacy, may fear be no more. Rather, may we rest in the peace that you and you alone bring. We love you, God. Thanks for loving us first and loving us always, even when we run from it. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Amen.